And a very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. The DUP indeed came out with a major announcement at one o'clock this morning. We're going to see what difference that is going to make. But definitely it's going to bring change to Northern Ireland. We look at school transport issues in the Uxorard area. We're also looking at genocide and a meeting taking place in University of Galway tomorrow. And Professor William Shabis will be coming back after 11 years since he left uh, giving that talk. Amy Marie Walsh joins us. We look at weight management and a new Loch Ray company indeed that have taken this right on the head. Galway Gardaí seek your assistance. We go trending matters and we got wonderful music from a young lady from Kilrika. That and more between now and 12 midday. Good morning to you. Now, a very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. We are with you until 12 midday and thank you indeed for joining us uh, today. Just very briefly, thanks for all of your good wishes yesterday. It's business as usual between now and the 12th of April and it's all about you, the listeners, and it's all about the guests and otherwise not about me. Uh, but a sincere thank you, a massive response to yesterday. So we're going to kind of leave it there and we're going to just get on with the programme. Uh, but sincere thank you. I mean, there wasn't one negative comment came in and all positive and the phone just hopped, hopped, hopped all night and emails and otherwise so I'll get back to everyone by the weekend I promise you I will get back to everybody but until then it's business as usual and we move forward from there now the DUP leader Jeffrey Donaldson has been working behind the scenes indeed and they had they had a, a secret meeting indeed last evening with members it wasn't that secret indeed because there was a, a number of people protesting outside but the decision has been made uh, to go back into uh, government indeed. And I'm joined on the line by Eamon O'Keefe, who joins me uh, this morning. Eamon, this is momentous for the north of Ireland because it's been starved of funds for a long, long time. And now is the time that hopefully it will flourish. Or will it? Well, I, I hope so. Uh, for a long time, as you said, we haven't had an executive. And if we go back to the initial setting up the executive, it has been very stop-start. And I think once this all settles down, one of the issues that has to be looked at by all parties is how can we put a structure in place that means continuity of government? Because there's no question in my mind that every time you get direct government, uh, you get regression. Uh, Well-meaning as all as the British politicians are, they tend to be there for very short periods. They tend to have very little knowledge of Northern Ireland before they become the minister. And there are obviously too few of them to run the, you know, the business of government in Northern yeah. Ireland. Add to that the total starving of funds, and you had a lethal mixture of non-action in the north for the last two years. Two but, three years. But I mean, the situation is we saw people taking to the streets, indeed, um, a week and a bit ago, and and public service um, employees. Um, on one side, you had the the Northern Secretary saying the money is there to draw it down. On the other side, um, they weren't sitting in Stormont. So it was a chicken and egg situation. Do you think that put pressure on Geoffrey Donaldson to, to make that decision? Or do you think that he's genuinely happy uh, with the undertakings that he's been given? Well, I think it's a bit of everything. And, you know, it doesn't matter what negotiations you get into, pay talks, uh, international talks, whatever. It is true to say that in most negotiations... Uh, both sides don't walk out with everything they sought at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, and that's just the inevitability of negotiation. And if you haven't got that ability to compromise in politics, there's no point being in politics because nothing would ever move forward. Uh, I do have to say that I think that from a Northern Ireland point of view, 
the, the border arrangements now are way, way better and much less bureaucratic than they were in the beginning. And I had been in contact with somebody who had said from the very beginning that there were technological solutions to the problem and that there was no need to check all the goods in the north of Ireland. And in fact, they're going to have a very advantageous situation if what they say is true, that goods entering Northern Ireland for use in Northern Ireland will not be inspected. It will be done on a technological basis because if you think of all the big companies, they know exactly what's in every truck. The Tesco's, the Sainsbury's, the co-op, the big uh, multiples, they're not going to be uh, fiddling the, 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 the manifest because it will put their own businesses awry. They don't do that. So I, I do think uh, that to a certain extent, if we're all honest, in terms of the arrangement in Northern Ireland, we've actually arrived at the position we should have arrived at at the beginning. And I always had a okay. view that Europe were making things difficult in terms of some of the demands they had that were not really required to have security in terms of the single market. And can I ask you, just in relation to moving forward, then, what role will Ireland Inc., as in the... the the Irish government have in this new uh, structure? Well, obviously Stormont is a standalone structure uh, subject to Westminster, but the north-south bodies, north-south interaction are vital. And of course, it's absolutely incumbent on us to try put the interests of the whole of Ireland forward all the time in everything we do and to bring people together. And I think that will happen. My experience was that that when we had direct rule, uh, things regressed. It was very hard to move things forward. Uh, when we had uh, Stormont operating, things were much more positive. And on a big and a small level, since you had local ministers, things moved forward. And I always remember during one period that we had direct rule and we were up in Belfast and the civil servants from the south were totally frustrated totally frustrated with the total lack of movement in the north. And one of them said to me one day, coming down in the car, he said, uh, the reality of politics is that the politicians can't do without the civil servants. But he also said, and this was the writer, he said, but if the truth is told, everything stagnates if you don't have the politicians driving the civil servants. Mm-hmm. And that was coming from a public servant who had seen what happens when you take the politicians out of the equation. Now, as you know, I'm a great defender of politics, of democracy, and the need down here as well as everywhere else uh, for politicians to be ultimately in charge because they're the only ones answerable to the people and they do bring a dynamic to administration that wouldn't be there if it was purely uh, administrators running the system. Well, like Emma McCree, thank you for joining us. Today. I want to go to Deputy Murray Tharlow, who joins me from Sinn on the other side. And uh, Murray, good morning to you. Do you welcome this decision by Geoffrey Donaldson overnight? Uh, good, good morning, Keith. And um, of, of course, I absolutely do welcome it. But I do have to say, I, I can't come on this morning without mentioning um, your own news, Keith. And I want to wish you all the best. And I suppose just to say, my mother says since she retired, she's never been as busy. So I don't know how that looked like um, for yourself, Keith. But um, obviously, you'll be greatly missed. Likewise. But, com- um, but coming back to this, to this here, like yeah. Have, yeah. You, have you spoken to Michelle O'Neill this morning or anything in relation to this? And do, do you welcome this decision? Look, I think we absolutely all welcome this decision. I think this is obviously something um, that we've been long calling for. The reality is, like, 
I was canvassing, obviously, um, in those elections. That's nearly two years ago. That was May um, 2022. And a, a lot of my friends, a lot of my colleagues um, who were elected um, on that day, you know, they've been wanting to go in. They want to go in and they want to be able to do the job they've been elected to do. So, the, the, you know, we want to see this. Um, we want to see Stormont up and running as soon as possible. We, you know, we, we have consistently um, called, obviously, for, for Stormont to be um, up and running. And we know, like you mentioned there, um, the difficulties over the, the last period of time because of the fact that Stormont wasn't up and running. And, for example, we saw, obviously, the strikes um, over the last number of, of weeks. Uh, and that's as a result, you know, um, partially as well because of, obviously, Stormont not being up and running. So, look, I think at this point now what we need to see is um, all the parties coming together and the government uh, governments coming together and to get Stormont up and running as fast as possible. There is that deadline of the 8th um, of February. Uh, but, like, I mean, at this point we, we expect... Um, that is, is storming to be up and running well before then. Um, I think this is really important. Um, we need to see that you know democratic process being there um, within Stormont and being able to deliver for people and crucially obviously um, getting money out to people you know who have been very much struggling as a result yeah. of the um, cost of living crisis and indeed of course uh, because of the health crisis as well. Can I ask you though, just in relation to Stormont, so it's nearly two years to the day since it was dissolved, um, and again, it's suspected that by Monday morning next day, they, they will be up and running. What about the civil servants within Stormont? What have they been doing for the last two years, do you reckon? Well, to be fair, it, they, they still have to, like, you know, um, they still need to administer everything. So, like, you know, it's not like everything just kind of grounds for To administer without any boss or any direction? Well, well, there, there's a lot of kind of work in the background that kind of needs to be done a, a huge amount of the time. Like, um, I suppose the the work that civil servants do, um, as we know, um, it just kind of kind of continues. So yeah, they, they have been continuing. And look, our MLAs, for example, who've been wanting to be in Stormont and wanting to be representing um, people, have been out, you know, very much within their constituencies, focused on uh, on trying to get you know work done for those those constituents. For example, Gemma Dolan, who is in Fermanagh, somebody who I would regularly contact, you know, people come into my office about things like um, their equivalent of a PPS number or that, and I'd always be kind of speaking to the likes of Gemma Dolan, who would be working full-time in her constituency office. Um, but these people like Gemma, they want to be, you know, Gemma Cueva Archibald is another person who has strong links um, to Galway, um, who want to be in um, in Stormont and they want to be, like, delivering on, uh, you know, on what they're supposed to be delivering mm. um, in relation to Stormont. Like, to be honest, um, Keith, like, you know, I was there in May of um, of twenty twenty two, and I remember I was actually in the county centre that um, Michelle O'Neill got elected in, and like it was a very historic day. It was a very you know positive day. It was a very exciting day, um, and and for that then to continue on for, for as long as it has, you know, obviously has been difficult. So what we want to see now is um, this up and this up and running as fast as possible. Um, and make sure that, you know, the, the people who got elected are able to do the job that they've been elected to do, um, which they want to do, you know. And correct in saying Michelle O'Neill will be the First Minister, yes? Absolutely, yes. And then Second Minister, that has to be decided once they come together. Yeah, that, yeah, that'll be the thing. So, um, look, Michelle has done, to be fair, like, and uh, obviously, Keith, anybody listening would say, well, Marie's obviously very biased, but... Um, I, I like. I think anybody would say, say at this point that Michelle has done incredible work um, over the last period of time, and she's always been very good at, you know, being as inclusive um, as possible and representing everybody 
um, in the north, you know, not just people that voted for her, but indeed representing everybody. And I think that's something that she has done very powerfully. And I think that's something that she'll continue um, to do. But of course, she can do that far better when um, an executive is up and running, you know, um, to be able to, to deliver for people. And look, I obviously have a lot of family in the north, I have a lot of friends in the north, and, and, and you know, there has been a frustration that, you know, that the executive is up running, um, yeah. and running in particular. Like, you know, like my uncle, for example, he, you know, has a small business and that, and, you know, it, it, you know, it does impact if you don't have, um, you know, uh, you know, a functioning executive. Absolutely. You know, it's important, you know, to have that level um, of democracy, um, you know, credit, representing you. Credit has to go, though, to Chris, uh, Chris Heaton, Harris indeed for the amount of work that he put in and he wasn't afraid to stand up to people as well. I wonder will he now bow out and somebody else be appointed? Oh God, I I, I don't know. Uh, Keith, um, He's my, put a lot uh, of work I into it now. I wouldn't hear the rumours over there. Sorry? He put a lot of work into it. Yeah, and look, a lot of work had to be put into this um, so it is it is very positive and look, the Irish and the British government, you know, have a, have a key role here that they, you know, that they have to um commit to obviously um, as a result uh, obviously of the good part of the and that so um, there is an, a, a huge amount of work and look what we need now to see is you know sometimes with these things like you know you feel like you're a marathon and there's a sprint at the end so like that needs to um, everybody needs to come together now and just make sure that it gets up and running as fast as possible Alright thank you for joining us uh, today Maurice Farrell Deputy uh, Maurice Farrell joining us and uh, Deputy Emil O'Keefe joining us uh, there Good news indeed uh, for the north of Ireland let's just um, stick with it and see how it goes and let's hope that it gets over the first hurdle which is to sit um, What happened last night by the way there was a power outage there was no wind there was nothing there was ice that's all that was there uh, but about half ten I would think uh, there was a power outage definitely in our area and it was gone for about an hour an hour and a half um, but does anybody know what happened? I didn't, I didn't check this morning, but if you do, will you text us, please, to 86 I was kind of bothered during uh, all the storms that came in uh, that uh, we might lose power in the area, in, in the village, uh, but we didn't, thank God. But lo and behold, uh, last night, uh, and I was in bed, and I was asleep, and all of a sudden the, the clock starts flashing. You'd swear there was the alarm going off or something, but um, just wondering, does anybody know what happened? <laughs> You know what, sagas continue. No matter what you do in this world or life, uh, sagas continue. Now, we've got a statement from the parents of children affected by the suspension of the bus Airden F2050 uh, school route, the Tullykind St. Paul's Secondary School. And I'm joined in studio indeed by Marie Egan, who's representing the parents, and Deputy Sean Kine will join us in a moment. Uh, Marie, jo- uh, talk to you for one second. Th- so, this is from Tullykind, say, Roscall area to St. Paul's Secondary School. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so our, our kids are going from Roscahill up to St. Paul's and their route has been cancelled now since October of last year. So how are you getting them to school? Uh, it's... A <laughs> it's, challenge. Uh, big challenge. Um, a lot of community support, all the parents getting together because we have no support from anyone else, it appears. It must be causing mayhem, you know, there are trying to get over and drop them off to St. Paul's and then go back and collect them during the day. Well... Parents are trying to get their kids to school in Octorard and then they're trying to get into town, go through that traffic, try to get in for trying nine to get o'clock. to work, yeah. Yeah, and then everything else, try to get out in the evening again in time so that Collect them. no kid is stranded. Or, But I'm telling you now, my own child, he's left, so he's been in school. Um, this is his first year in St. Paul's and he's missing so much time and he's fallen behind. Uh, and that's our biggest concern. And why is he missing time? Is it because of... of it's just difficulties un- getting there. It's unavoidable sometimes. Like my husband is in town working 
he's in early in the morning dropping off our other son and the same for all the other parents they're trying to get their kids to school so you've been dragged all over the place yeah and then we're we're expected to just be quiet and get on with it you know why are you not getting answers? I know Sean Coyne will have answers in a moment, but why, why are you not getting uh, answers and why is it left unfilled? Well, I don't know is the right answer for that one because we've contacted Bus Erin since October on a weekly basis on, and many of the parents have contacted me. Have you been patient now since October? Well, we gave them a chance, <laughs> I'll put well, it that way. Yeah, uh, we're, we're 30th of uh, January now. Yeah, we're sure the school year will be over before we know it. Uh, my concern is that the bus won't be back for next year. Like, we've no guarantee that, that anything's going to be done. The problem we face is, Bus Air will not contact the parents. On We've asked them for a, a liaison to talk to us. Uh, we've been ignored. Uh, we've contacted them over and over because I don't feel this is going to go away unless they come and talk to the parents um, to come up with a solution because there isn't one. They're not coming up with one, do you know? Mm. Stay with me if you don't mind. Uh, Deputy Sean, or Senator Sean Kine, uh joins me in, uh, on the line. Sean, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. I nearly appointed you deputy again. I, I didn't go as far as minister, though. That's okay. Uh, what, what, is, what is this? Can you, can you demystify this for me? Because I read the brief on it last evening and I'm still very confused as to why there isn't a bus on the F2050. Or am I missing something now? I, I, I wish I could, Keith, and I wish I had the answers. And I know the frustration uh, of all parents that have contacted me and have contacted um, all the Oireachtas members uh, in this area. And I know that others have raised this uh, in, in the Dáil. I've raised it um, as well in the Shannad um, on numerous occasions. I've raised it at parliamentary party meetings in relation to the issue. Obviously, Bus Airden have a responsibility uh, to, on behalf of the Department of Education, to provide bus services for children that are eligible. So generally, and we've spoken in, in August, I think it was in relation before the start of the school year, and there's always trials and tribulations, there's always issues that arise because uh, a bus is full, there's issues with concessionary tickets, uh, you know, children maybe just outside the the, the, the area, the 3.2 or the 4.8 kilometres. But this is a, an entirely different and unusual situation, and we have a couple of them actually that I've seen, whereby in the middle of the year, or at the start of the year when an operator has a contract uh, that so, suddenly the operator cannot fulfill the contract and there are issues in relation to this case and I won't get into them uh, that 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 were unfortunate uh, whereby um, the contractor wasn't able to fulfill uh, this route because uh, of, of issues yeah. um, and this has left the parents and the children high and dry um, I've been on to the department and in fairness I've been on to the local inspector who's excellent and, and answers, the, answers the phone call and comes back to me but I've been unable to get through to the manager uh, of the school transport section of Bus Airden for a long, long time in relation to these matters. And, you know, uh, it, it is true. We'll have midterms in a couple of weeks' time, then you'll have Easter, and suddenly the year will be over. And it'll be it'll be next year at this rate before this uh, this bus service but, is back well, up. I'm, 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 I'm very conscious of the sensitivities involved in this. So I'm, I'm, I'm parking those to one side. But yeah. surely to God there is another operator or somebody out there or that, that could do this run the, the F2050 uh, and take the pain absolutely. away from the parents in question. I'm looking at a lady called Marie Egan. I don't know her from Adam. She's stressed beyond belief sitting in front of me. Yeah, I know, and I feel for Marie and I feel for all the parents who have contacted me and, you know, as I said, I haven't come across a situation like this before. Um, generally, it's the individual parent that might have an issue because they cannot get a ticket or whatever. Yeah. But this is a situation where a full bus route, which was operating up till October, has suddenly uh, not been operating since then. And as I said in my in, in my press release, I, I now believe Bus Airden just want to coast on through the end of the year and 
take this up next year and, and, and carry on and provide a service. And I've come across that in certain other areas as well, whereby you're asking Bus Airden to go a little bit further to change the route and they'll say, no, we look at it again uh, next but, year. But, Sean, but uh, I've requested a, a meeting with, with, with the manager here to, to discuss this, to see why Bus Airden aren't able to fulfil their responsibilities to the department. The department overall pay, starting in 2022, they paid over 338 million euro to um to 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 provide bus services for school transport and that's increased this year as well and parents are entitled the children are entitled to get a bus and it is up to bus Airden to ensure that a bus is provided now i know there are shortages of buses and i know there are shortages of drivers and one of the solutions that i and others have raised time and time again is that to look at the retirement age for bus drivers mm. the, the the strange thing is you know the, the limit is 70 years of age the strange thing is you could have a bus driver who is 72 years of age who could bring those same children from saint paul's to a football match to to a drama into galway city whatever they have to do but they cannot bring them on the school run because Bus Airden have these rules in relation to, to the, the limit being 70. Listen, so they can bring them anywhere else in the country. They can bring them to Dublin. They could be 72, 73 years of age and drive the same kids to Dublin, but they cannot bring them uh, on the school run. And we've asked Bus Airden to look at this. Now, I know the minister is carrying out a full review, which has been promised for some time and hopes to bring proposals to Cabinet uh, in, in, in shortly. That's no good for, 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 for this year, I'm sure. That'll be possibly for next year. They're looking at possibly integrating with, with the Department of Transport, with, with local link services, a range of possibilities they've engaged okay. with stakeholders. But that's no but good for, for, no, for me, for the other parents no. here who have been, they've been left high and dry and left stranded. And we have no answers from the Department, or sorry, from the from Bus Airden management in relation to this. Okay. Now, I do know that the manager has been under a lot of pressure and works extremely hard. I know Kieran Cannon has, sp- has spoken on this in the past. I, I do know that Councillor Seamus Walsh uh, from Ugdorard uh, presented himself indeed to the manager's office and she couldn't meet him from there. And and I do know that she's under a lot of pressure um, with the bus services. So are, so are, the, so are the parents. Yeah, yeah no, so I, get, parents, I, get, I get that, Shannon. And I mean, we, we, have, we have no answers. And as I said, I'm, I'm, conf- I'm, I'm with the view now that this is just going to be, it'll be the end of the year now and it'll be talking about but next that's, year. But that's not is, right. I mean, you're, you're essentially, you're based in Dublin. You, you might have the ear of the managing director or chief executive of Bus Airden. Surely it has to go to that level at the, that stage or a ministerial level to make contact with Bus Airden and say exactly what in the name of God is going on. Look, I mean, they've gone out. They tell us they've gone out to Tinder and there's no one interested. I mean, Bus Aaron have to be able to step in. They have to be able to step in. And and as the minister quite rightly stated, you know, there are supports there for for Ukrainians and all absolutely required. These things can happen when they are required. But to every to problem, there's and a solution. And there's a solution to this, but somebody, needs to, has to somebody needs to come there up with a solution. solution. And I mean, it is up to, unfortunately, it is up to Bus Aaron management here in Galway to come up with a solution. And I mean, as I said, we can't even get answers. And I've requested a meeting now because I said, every year there are certain minor issues, but I've never come across a situation like this where children are absolutely left abandoned um, for, for, for nigh on three months or okay. more. It, it, and parents have to shuffle their lives around to, 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 to deal with this. Again, dealing with sensitivities of it, is there a standoff between operator and 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 because of the sensitive issue that we're speaking about that I don't want to go back into again. Look, I don't know 
but it's not good enough. It's not good enough whoever uh, is responsible. It's not good enough that parents and children are left high and dry. They are entitled under the under the department. They pay enough money to these services. Um, it, 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 it shouldn't be on... The operators the work for it, Sean. It's not like they're getting money service. for nothing. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, look, you know... People go out and they tender and they win contracts and, you know, they have to fulfill those contracts. And from time to time, issues uh, arise. Okay. And unfortunately, we've had two issues that have arisen, one here and one in, in, in another route that have, have arisen this year. But at the end of the day, neither neither um, the contractor or Bus Airden have managed to find a solution. So if there's a standoff between them, that's fine. Let them sort it out. But it's the parents that are missing out. It's the parents that have been left high and dry. Okay. We and all yep. the others who are in it, who, who, who are, are, are frustrated, who are contacting Iraq this uh, representatives and councillors and asking what the hell are you doing, what is what is going on okay. and you know, that that is the issue uh, Say with me Sean if you don't mind uh, Marie, you've heard nothing new No um, I, I'd be delighted if he got a reply from Bus Erin I'm sure she's got our details um, we'd be thrilled if we got some communication because it's not going to, the solution isn't going to be between Bus Erin um, between now and the end of the year um, but I think if she met with... But why, why not? When you say she's she, you're, you're, we're not personalising well, it. Sorry, no, but they are in management, put it that way, because we've contacted them and they have no solution. So the only way to get a solution is to communicate with people who are invested okay. to find a, a okay. genuine solution. But there's a contract. You've paid for your yeah. uh, bus fees. So there's a contract in place. Yeah. A legal contract. So you paid over your money for your son to go to school uh, on a bus and that's it. Yeah. So there's a contract. So somebody's in breach of contract somewhere. Well, it's not the kids. <laughs> no, it's not the kids, but they're the, they're they're, the, they're they're the, the victims. Own, they're the victims in all of this. And they're the people who are not going to school and they're missing time. And through no fault of the parents, through no fault of their own. And it's, yeah. not, it's not acceptable. Like he said, the kids are entitled to this. It's, it's, it's not, we're not looking for anything out of those, out of those lines, you know? Mm. So... And, and Sean, do you reckon, can you get, uh, like I'm just looking here, Keith, I'm a bus driver, uh, shortly turning 70, and I will have to stop as per bus earns contracts. I am fit and healthy and I want to work. Another caller said, I've been trying to get, uh, sorry, this is from Councillor Seamus Walsh, I've been trying to get a meeting with Norma Foley and it's uh, falling on deaf ears. There are drivers available, they just won't use them. And that comes from Councillor Seamus Walsh. And we have no, many other, call, we have other, other calls coming in there too. Yeah, and acknowledge uh, Seamus's uh, work on this and, and, and other public representatives as well. I mean, they have looked, and, uh, and again, in fairness to the local inspector, who's always very obliging to get back uh, and answer phone calls, which is the least, um, you know, public representatives uh, want. Um, and well, you're entitled to that. Uh, yeah, but we have looked at, they have looked at, for example, um, putting bigger bus routes, to sort of amalgamate routes to allow um, for, for this. And this has been looked at and that seemed to have uh, come to nothing as well. So, look, it, it, there, there is absolute frustration in this. And, um, you know, I feel helpless. Um, as, as I said, I contact the local inspector, I, I'd say, twice a week on a range uh, of issues. And I have to say, despite what? his best, best efforts, um, this has been the worst year that I've seen in terms of issues okay. of school transport. But can I Absolutely put it to you, though, that... About. Can I just put it to you though? There is a contract there, and I mean, there is. There's a contract there. They've paid their fees, and they've been accepted. So there's a duty of care to the to the pupils in this regard. Now nobody wants to see this playing out in a, in a different forum altogether, but there's a solution to every problem, and you want the solution now between now and Monday to get a solution for the parents here. 
And just see Seamus Walsh has been back after us again. Seamus Walsh has personally uh, travelled to Norma Foley's office in Tralee and uh, she would not deal with us as it was not a Kerry issue. Well, that says I, it leave that, I leave that between Seamus and, 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 and Norma, but maybe... He has enough, in, sure his, he has I, enough I, in his hands I, currently, so he has. I, uh, Sean, I, I, better I, let you, I better let you back to the day job, but uh, thank you for joining us uh, today. I mean, I mean to the Senate, uh, thank you for joining us. Marie, we don't have any solution for you. Oh, no. You didn't come in thinking you were going to get a solution, though, did you? No, but I was hoping that people could see what's happening and not to be ignored. I think that's the most frustrating part of it, is to blatantly be ignored when we're asking genuine questions and they're important questions you know mm-hmm. um, we're all we're doing is looking out for our kids and making sure they get a, a genuine a proper education you know yeah and this is a barrier to that and it's it's unacceptable really yeah you know it really is unacceptable but listen um Again, you're making the appeal on behalf of how many students are involved in this? It's over 40 students on that oh, bus. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of students. Oh, absolutely. And for a small school, like we're not... We're a lot not. of cars coming in now, look at it. Yeah. In our current climate change and everything else, it doesn't... It, in one it doesn't hand, make sense at no, all. No, no. And are you carpooling at this stage or trying to? Well, for If the, you have two cars. It, if we can, it, for the most people are trying to... I know there's... One child that has to go into town in the morning and get us the the um, bus out to Uckderard to go to school. Do you know? Mm. So it's not an easy situation. Anyone. Give me that scenario again. They go. So they go to uh, Galway City because the parents are working and they get a bus out to Uckderard to be able to go to school. So they're living in Roscahan side, but they yeah. go in with mom or dad into school. Yeah. Then they get the bus out of Galway City. Yeah. To Uckderard. Mhm. Alright lads, the carbon footprint, what are we doing? I know. And there's there's others. There's it's not even fair to the student. Could you imagine being brought into town to be brought back out again? But, but we've been left with no other solution. Like They have no other option. Do you know, They can't go to school at six o'clock in the morning or half, half, half six in the but morning or whatever. But you paid your money. I know, but, but who do we go to? There's no accountability. There's no know. accountability from anyone. And I believe it's Bus Aaron that need to talk to us because they're the people who have given yeah. us these bus tickets. Somebody said, Morning Keith, uh, a lot of the problem is the lack of buses and the scarcity of drivers. Read the driver issue. When a driver gets over 70 years of age, um, you are gone as far as Bus Aaron are concerned. That's an absolutely ridiculous rule, I have to say. But there you go. Another caller said, uh, Keith, uh, this caller said, um, Something, um, uh, what's good for where, where is that good for us, Minister Foley, t- this morning? Um, th- that's not fair to call it that. And uh, Keith, I'm a transport assistant working in Galway. We haven't had a pay rise since 2020, and that was 26 cents an hour. The pay uh, doesn't reflect the responsibility of my job. There will be a shortage of people doing this job if they don't raise our wages too. It's not just drivers, the scholar said. So there does seem to be a bit of flux in the in the bus industry, so there does at this stage, Marie. Yeah. And and our kids are the ones who are taking the, the, the brunt of it. Leave it with us and we'll see what we can get uh, on it. We'll put some questions out indeed to Bus Aaron as well. They've got an excellent press office, I have to say. Uh, in Dublin, we'll go straight to headquarters and see from there. And just to, I want to acknowledge, though, the uh, good work that's been done uh, by the team in Galway Kent Station as well. And let's just see where it goes from there. Marie, thanks for joining us uh, Thank today. Thank you, appreciate and it. And just don't let yourself get too stressed with it. Let's take a short commercial break and we're coming back and we're looking at a talk taking place um, in University of Galway tomorrow. Stay tuned for that and more to come. <laughs>
Now, very good morning to you. Professor William Shabas, one of the uh, foremost experts in genocide, will deliver a public lecture in the Isle of Maxima at the University of Galway uh, tomorrow, the 31st of uh, January at uh, 4 pm. He joins me on the line today. Professor Shabas, there's an awful lot going on in the world uh, today, really and truly. The whole world. Okay. Well, it's uh, we we have some very specific crises, of course, and genocide has been the focus of the discussion, um, in particular about yeah. the situation in Gaza. Um, but the world is probably in a dangerous, more dangerous place than it's been for a long time, and people talk about the prospect of a third world war in a way that you know we've not heard for many decades. When I was a a kid growing up, I think my parents believe that a third world war they they'd of course lived through the second world war and their parents had lived through the first world war and they figured this was something inevitable but we've managed to make it through most of my lifetime without a world war and yet um it's it's very troubling to see the discussions about about how this 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 we may be headed for another catastrophe and could you see another world war could you well, you can't rule it out. Uh, I, I did a, a, a study a few years ago that involved uh, looking at the First World War and some of the legal aspects about prosecuting for crimes committed during the First World War, including starting it. And my conclusion, um, historians, I guess, differ on this, but um, I, I, it was very apparent to me that, that the First World War was kind of stumbled into in a way. I say it was like it was like a bunch of tough guys in a in a pub having a quarrel and then agreeing to go out and settle it in the car park mm. and then waiting to see who would strike the first blow. And I, I feel we're in a world where there are where you know a bunch of tough guys arguing in a in a in a pub and I'm afraid they'll 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 go out in the car park and then stumble into it, you know, like in the, the final act of West Side Story or something like that. Can I go back to the Gaza situation and genocide? Um, and I, we know that the courts have taken action. We know South Africa have been involved. Um, where is all of this going to end? Because the loss of life uh, on both sides is quite frightening. But when does it become genocide? Well, it's obvious that the, 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 the conflict in Gaza is not going to end because uh, of a ruling by the International Court of Justice a few days ago. No. Although that may provoke and contribute to changes that could lead to a, a solution. To me, there's only one solution that's possible, and that's recognition of a Palestinian state, which has been in the cards for, for decades and decades, um, but is rejected by the current leadership of, of Israel. And instead, they seem bent on really trying to destroy the people of of Gaza. So this raises the issue of genocide, and South Africa has sort of taken the bit between their teeth and gone to the International Court of Justice with a, a claim against Israel. Israel's pretty impervious to international legal remedies. Uh, some states have managed to shelter themselves from them because they're consent-based. But there was a there was a gap in the armor of Israel, and South Africa spotted it and has gone to the court then with a with a charge of genocide. It was dismissed by some Western governments and, of course, by Israel. Uh, as being frivolous and, and contrived. But the ruling of the International Court of Justice last Friday has treated it as a, something very serious. The, the word they use, because it's part of their law, is plausible. But I watched the hearings and I saw the South African lawyers making their case, and it's a very, 
it's a strong, compelling case. And uh, it will be some years because like like all court cases, even even court cases in Ireland, they they take a few years to work their way through the system. And so is this one. But we have this very dramatic preliminary ruling, which is is quite devastating for Israel. I mean, there's no country in the world that would want to even have the stigma that a court thinks there's a plausible mm. case that they committed genocide. But when you look at the definition for genocide, the deliberate killing of a large number of people from a particular nation or ethnic group uh, with the aim of destroying that nation or group, are you saying that's what Israel is doing right now? Well, I think what what we can say is is what the court said is that there is a plausible case for saying that that's what their goal is. We'll have to see the evidence when it comes out. We don't have all the evidence. Even South Africa has only sketched out what its case is. Um, but it's largely based on the idea that the the um, first of all that Israel has 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 cornered the people of Gaza by driving them uh, up from their homes. Most of the people in Gaza are now displaced out of their homes into a small corner at the border uh, of Gaza on the southern border, and they are not able to get out. So they're cornered, they're hungry, they're cold, they're ill, uh, they don't have proper drinking water, and it's a threat to their survival. Uh, at the same time, we see Israel conducting a war where they, they actually, I was looking at this a few days ago, Israel only claims that they have a few hundred military casualties. Only a few hundred of their soldiers have lost their lives in this conflict. Um, they say that they're out there to defeat Hamas, but you can't defeat a group like Hamas and not take casualties. They're not mm -hmm. taking casualties because they're actually, it appears to me, not seriously fighting with Hamas. So what are they trying to do? They're, they're trying to destroy the Palestinian people. Um, whether that involves the physical extermination or trying to drive them across the border remains to be seen. We're going to see the facts as they come out, um, and that will be an important issue. Something else that's at work here is that the the definition of genocide, which has been interpreted quite conservatively by courts in the past, is in a state of flux. And uh, a few months ago, several Western governments, uh, Germany, France, the UK, Canada, submitted an opinion to the International Court of Justice, the same court that's hearing the case against Israel, but in the case against Myanmar. And they argued for a much more, much broader definition and approach and understanding of the crime of genocide. Now, obviously, they did it because they want to get Myanmar. And I guess it hadn't occurred to them that it might rebound, which is what it's had. They provided a very strong argument for South Africa against Israel, and I bet they actually regret it now. Can I ask you just the, the actions of Hamas on the 7th of October, Professor William Shabas, who will be in uh, the university tomorrow, I'll give you details in a moment. Um, is it excess of their response, if I'm reading between the lines here? Um, I'm not sure I follow you. I mean, Israel, in, in the case when it was argued before the International Court of Justice a few weeks ago, the uh, lawyers for Israel claimed that what Hamas had done was genocide. I, I think that's a stretch to try and claim that an attack like that was genocide, clearly with the number of of, of combatants they had involved in it, the number of people, it was really quite impossible to think that this was directed at trying to eliminate or destroy the Jewish population of of Israel. So I, okay. I don't think that's a, a correct characterization, but it's clear that crimes were committed. 
whether we call them war crimes or simply ordinary crimes under the laws of Israel, um, if they if there are any people who who were perpetrating those who survived it at some point, they may be brought to justice. But but we're not talking about genocide in that case. Okay. Well, I suppose maybe putting the question in a different way would be, do you think that Hamas hadn't done what they did on the 7th of October, that there would be peace between Israel and Palestine right now? Well, I think a big part of the problem is the um, extremists, particularly in Israel, who are in control. So we have, the, the government of Israel has never been as right-wing as it is right now. There are lots of people in Israel, I think, who would like an end to the conflict, who see that it's accomplishing nothing, it's not succeeding in freeing the hostages, and it's not uh, succeeding in defeating Hamas. Uh, and what they want is peace with the Palestinians. They recognize that in some way they have to have a, they have to share that territory somehow with the people of Palestine. They're not getting, going to get rid of them. But those who are in power, the Prime Minister Netanyahu and the folks around him, seem to think that it's it's realistic that they can create an, an exclusively Jewish state from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. But that obviously involves um, w- what they have right now, which is an apartheid-like regime, particularly in the West Bank, but also in Israel itself, but also uh, removing the Palestinian population from areas like Gaza. And it seems increasingly that that's exactly what they want to do. So you're coming to Galway, so you are. You'll be in Galway tomorrow evening, uh, Wednesday, 31st of January at four o'clock. It's been organised by the Irish Centre for Human Rights in the School of Law there as well. Um, And again, you will have discussion, debate and otherwise at that event. Yes, absolutely. And uh, everybody's welcome. You'll remember, Keith, I was director of the Human Rights Centre in Galway for 11 years and uh, left about a little over a decade ago. Um, I haven't, I was back last summer, but of course I missed a few years because of the travel restrictions during COVID. And I'm really anxious to get back to Galway, which was uh, home to me for many years and to see my old friends and uh, to you know, enjoy the crack of this of the town. Well, do enjoy that, and we might just catch up with you tomorrow, indeed, at four o'clock. Uh, and again, it's uh, taking place uh, organised by the Irish Centre for Human Rights. Four o'clock uh, tomorrow for the details can be had from the University of Galway. I better let you get on the plane and get over here uh, for that event. I'll be, thank I'll you be there for joining soon. us. Talk to you soon, Professor William Shabas joining us there. And again, further details can be had from the University of Galway. The event is taking place tomorrow, Wednesday, thirty-first of January, at four p.m.